All right, hey, glad you guys are with us. Uh, we're gonna continue in our series called Hope in the Dark, exploring Jesus' resources for us when we're going through some dark times, okay? Uh, particularly what we're gonna talk today is about how to weather storms. Every one of us in life, we've been through a storm, big or small, uh, and we gotta figure out, man, how do we get through them? How do we get through them? Uh, so I was reading the kids' book to my kids earlier this week, and they were talking about a particular storm. Uh, it's a little science book. They were talking about tornadoes. Anybody been through a tornado before? Uh, we get them very rarely here in New Hampshire. Uh, they're mostly in the other parts of the country, but some have whipped through before. Now, this is what I learned. Ready for your science lesson for the day? Some tornadoes are bigger than others. I know it blows your minds, uh, but uh, the reality is some of them are smaller than others, and some of them last only a few seconds where they kind of do the little twirl thing and maybe lip, uh, rip a, a leaf off or two. Uh, but some of them can last for hours and demolish an entire town at 300 miles per hour winds. They're incredibly dangerous. The, the reality is the longer a tornado lasts, the more damage it can cause. And if we're not careful in our life, when we go through particular storms, they have the capacity to uproot everything in our life, like a giant storm. Now, there's some, there's some storms in our life that are really not that bad. They're relatively painless, although they might seem crazy at the time. Anybody been to Market Basket on a Sunday afternoon? Do you know what I'm saying? Oh my goodness, it feels like a tornado. And like you just, you don't want to go to Market Basket on Sunday afternoon. You just like, you got to promise me this, don't do it, okay? Because when I go, I want some extra parking spaces, all right? Uh, when you go there, you see those empty spaces and then like, you know, if they happen, then you got this like parking lot shark that finds its way in there before you do, totally illegal. And I just want to report them to the cops every single time. Uh, look. <laughs> Maybe your pastor's got some issues, all right? Look, if that has the capacity, if, if a parking lot issue, you've got a capacity to uproot your life, you probably shouldn't be here right now. I should probably see somebody professionally about that. But the reality is there are some storms in life that do just want to throw everything out the window. I was thinking about some of these stories earlier. I got some friends that have been through stuff like this. He'd been married for nine years, had a beautiful kid. Wonderful marriage, what seemed like it on the outside. They had the white picket fans, the beautiful house, the stable job. Everything just seemed great on the outside. Nothing to lose. And then out of nowhere, she starts saying, hey, I think we should see some counselors. After a few painless sessions, it seemed fine. And then the dreaded news happened where she said, you know what? I don't know if this is working. I think I just need some time to breathe, some space. And it devastated him, but... A week went by and he's thinking, you know, she's going to come back. It's okay. It's going to come back. A couple months went by and he's left wondering, is this thing salvageable? I don't know. She had just gotten a promotion at a job. She was really excited about this new opportunity. She'd been waiting for just the right job at just the right time. She'd been working towards it forever. And finally, she got something. And, and within what she had studied at school, and so this was it. It was, it was paying well. She was doing really great at her job. Everything seemed awesome. And then all of a sudden, they got the news that the company was downsizing. And after a couple of months of what seemed like epic greatness, now she's wondering next week when they make the decisions, am I going to be the one on the chopping block? They had been happily married for about five years and were joyfully anticipating the birth of their first child. Everything seemed great. They'd picked out the name. They'd worked out the baby room. Everything was perfect. They'd had all the paint colors arranged. Uh, they had the baby shower. Everything was awesome. They were weeks away from it all happening. And then the movement stopped. 
inside the womb. They try not to think about it at first. You know, don't overthink it. Just, just stay calm. Just stay calm. But it still stayed silent. And they went to the doctor's office. And as they're on their way in, they're dreading what they're about to hear. What do you do in storms like this? I know people in every one of these stories who've been through this. My guess is that every one of us in this room have either been through sim something very similar to this, or you come out of something like this, or maybe you're in the middle of it right now, or maybe perhaps it's about to come. But storms hit in life, and we got to figure out what do we do? How do we respond when these storms hit? What do you do? Now, the crazy thing is that we experience a level of suffering every single time we go through a particular storm, and we're shaped by that suffering every single time. But maybe more importantly than what shapes us in the suffering is the choices that we make in the middle of that storm. I, uh, I was reading an author earlier this week, uh, Paul David Tripp. He wrote this great book called Suffering. It's a nice, light, happy read if you want a good bedtime story and all that. No, but it's, it's actually really important. Uh, he, he put it this way. Suffering tends to kidnap your thoughts and in so doing has a powerful effect on our emotions and our responses. The, dy the dynamic is clear. The more you meditate on a problem, the bigger, the scarier, and more unsolvable it appears. So we have to ask ourselves, what do we do in the middle of a storm? Where does your mind take you? How do you respond when tragedy hits? All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to continue uh, picking through Matthew, exploring where Jesus is at. We're going to pick up today in verse 23, where Jesus and his buddies encounter a literal storm. <laughs> they go through a particular storm, and it was far from expected. They had to figure out, what are we going to do in the middle of of all this. So how do we handle storms in the middle of dark times? Starting in verse 23 in Matthew chapter 8. Here we go. Then he, this is Jesus, they got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves were sweeping over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping and the disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Now, this is what's so fascinating about it, okay? They walk into the boat, and everything seems fine. We're talking about fishermen who understood the waters really well. They, they were on that lake probably more times than uh, all of us. Uh, I don't know. I was going to come up with something really random. But they've been on that lake a long time, okay? They understood those waters. I was going to say more times than you can eat, but that's not true because, like, we all, we all love our eating here in America. All right, anyway, they understood what it meant to navigate waters, and yet when they started on this lake, when everything seemed uh, calm, right in the middle of the lake, something quickly turned. I mean, fast and furious, this storm just came upon them. And just in case you're like, well, how is that possible? You know, you got some people who were experts at the water. How could they not see that coming? Well, here's a little geography lesson. Um, when I was in Israel, I actually saw this up close uh, back when I was a sophomore in college. Uh, the, the Sea of Galilee is actually 700 feet below sea level. It's a pretty warm place, 700 feet below sea level. Uh, and just 30 miles north is a mountain called Mount Hermon, which uh, is about 9,200 feet when you get about a 10,000 foot difference between the Sea of Galilee and the nearest mountain, and with just 30 miles in between, the massive cold fronts and hot fronts can kind of come together and create these crazy storms out of nowhere. No joke, when, when I actually went to the, the Sea of Galilee for the very first time, uh, 
uh, we were right at the edge of the, the lake, and I saw these like four foot swells right at the edge. That just seemed crazy. I mean, there were white caps, and I was like, how in the world can a small boat survive in something like that? It's not unfathomable to actually imagine that a small fishing boat with a number of guys was in the middle of the lake in the middle of the night, and boom, a massive storm happened. Now, the crazy thing was, it wasn't just any kind of storm. These guys probably understood storms before. This storm was so bad that they were afraid for their lives. The reality is that in our lives, storms can come without warning. They can come fast. They can come furious and catch us completely off guard. I remember uh, one of the worst news moments that I had to delay or, or I had to relay to charity uh, when I was studying in, in Colorado. Uh, I was at pastor school. It's called seminary. Uh, I actually made a mistake one point of uh, inviting a florist to send flowers to the seminary uh, for charity. And he called me up and he's like, uh, I don't know where you are. I'm looking around for you, but like I'm looking at all these tombstones right now and like there's nowhere uh, that I see someone like you with your description. I'm like, no, 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 not cemetery, seminary. Like it's a different thing. He's like, I've never heard of that before. Anyway, that's a school for pastors just in case anybody was in the dark on that. Uh, not that we needed to understand that today, but it's a, a little window into my world. Anyway, uh, I'm at seminary studying and I get this crazy phone call from my sister-in-law. Hey, Scott, it's dad. And a flood of tears I could hear on the other end of the phone. He's gone. He died in the middle of the night last night. Can you please tell Charity when she gets home from teaching? I'm about a year and a half into my marriage. That's the worst kind of news you want to relay to your wife. This was in the day when we had flip phones and uh, you weren't constantly connected to your phone and so I couldn't just message her in that moment uh, <laughs> because I probably wasn't very good at texting on a flip phone. And so I'm waiting for her to get back and just trembling. I mean, I'm shaking that day, waiting for her to come back. And when she gets back, I had to let her know that she's never going to have another moment with her dad. What do you do in a moment like that? Man, I was still like 23, 24. I had no clue. The reality is it's not a matter of if you're going to encounter a storm, but when. And what do you do when it happens? Scripture is pretty clear about that. In, uh, in 1 Peter 4, the Apostle Peter says, look, friends, in verse uh, 12, he goes, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. It's going to happen. And he says there's an element at which we experience some testing in this. God's going to test us in every one of the storms. The Apostle James put it this way. He said, consider it pure joy. Look, that's a really hard thing to do. But he said, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. He doesn't say consider pure joy, my brothers, if you face trials of many kinds. He says, when you face trials of many kinds, it's going to happen. You're going to have storms in your life. And maybe some of you are in the middle of it right now. Now, it's also important to clarify what a storm is and what it's not in this context. Uh, Jesus he makes it clear that in this moment, like the disciples were out of control. They had no control in this. They were in the middle of the lake. They, they, they could not control whether the storm happened or not. They just found themselves in the middle of it. For some of us in this room, we have to make the difference between storms that you've caused and storms you just find yourself in, okay? We're not talking about the storm of 
Maybe your addiction after 30 years of continuing the same activities over and over and over and over and over again. Yes, that's a storm, and Scripture addresses that, but that's not exactly what it's talking about right here. You know, like, no, we're not talking about the failed marriage that you've had because you've had infidelity issues over and over and over and over and over again. That's not what it's talking about. This is talking about storms that we don't cause. And if you're like me, when you go through stories like this, you can't help but ask the inevitable elephant in the room kind of question, why? Why would God allow something like that to happen? In fact, it's almost like Jesus knew this was going to happen and he led his disciples into the middle of the lake. Why? You ever been there? If you've ever been there, you have to know right now you're not alone. And not just not alone in this room, you're not alone in the scope of Scripture. Because in Mark's gospel account, you know what Mark asks? He actually records the disciples in the middle of the storm when it's happening. They don't just try to wake Jesus and say, hey, you know, we're going to die here. The question that they ask that Mark remembers in that moment is, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Have you ever asked that of God? God, don't you care? Aren't, are you there? Because what I'm going through right now doesn't feel like you're there. In fact, it feels like you're sleeping. <laughs> Like, I don't know the last time uh, you had someone who slept through something massive in your life, but it's not a cool moment. I, I had a roommate in college who could sleep through anything, okay? Uh, just in case you're thinking this is a crazy storm, not possible Jesus could sleep through this, I've got proof, okay? Uh, my roommate was a wild guy, and Ryan Harrington, if you're watching this right now, I love you, bro, but you're a weird guy, okay? Um, so in college, uh, we, had, uh, we, were, we were living in a HUD dorm. And in the middle of the night, someone had done something wrong and pulled the fire alarm. And I'm telling you, when a HUD dorm fire alarm goes off, everyone and their mom hears about it because it is crazy loud, crazy loud. Ryan Harrington slept through the whole thing. What? Like, I don't even know how that's possible, okay? Don't know how that's possible. Ryan Harrington did. Jesus was asleep in this moment. And if you're like me and you're going through a storm, sometimes you ask, how can you be asleep, God? Don't you see what I'm going through? Are you going to be just that quiet about it? Because I'm thinking my life is going to end right now. Now, this is a problem. <laughs> this is a problem for a lot of Christians. And I've actually, I've, enc I've encountered a lot of non-Christians who say the reason I don't believe in God is because I can't fathom him being good and all-powerful and allowing all the evil and the suffering that I've seen in this world to take place the way I've seen it. That just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So why would I believe that there is a good, all-powerful God? And man, in those conversations, I, I look at him and I say, I get it. You know, I'm asking the same questions sometimes. I get that, but you have to consider the alternative. Let's just imagine for a second there is no God. There's no God. And we don't have time to kind of chase this bunny down the rabbit trail. We've actually devoted entire messages to this that you can look back in our sermon archive, and I encourage you to do that, particularly in the Problem of God series that we did a while back. But consider the alternative. If there is no God, is there any goodness for you to question? Think about it for a second. Let's just say we're a product of chaos and forces beyond our control. We're just a collection of molecules that are here to survive, and that's it. When bad things happen... Should we, on the inside of us, actually cry out, no, that shouldn't happen? 
Man, everything else in nature just says, no, that's just the way it is. In fact, the laws of the survival of nature says that sometimes the strong need to eat the weak. Sometimes violent storms need to eat up those who can't control them because that's how the strongest survive. But that's not how we're wired as humans. Something on the inside of us breaks when we lose a loved one tragically. Something inside of us cries out, no, that's not the way it's supposed to be. This is not how the story's supposed to end. And the question I think I want us to ask in that, if you've ever wrestled with whether or not to believe in God is this. What if your heart cry in, no, that's not the way it's supposed to be, is because you were made for something more? What if this world and the atrocities and the evil that it experienced, what if it wasn't designed for that level of suffering? I've got a favorite author by the name of C.S. Lewis, who you probably here in this room have heard me quote a lot. He was once an atheist, and when he examined his questions and his doubts, he actually had brought him to God, not away from him. This is what he said. He said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, then the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Think about that for a second. In the middle of your tragedy, when you ache, when you cry, when you scream, when you're angry, pay attention to those longings. Because when you pay attention and you actually go deep enough in them, they're going to lead you towards God, not away from him. Pay attention to those. I heard another um, leader at one point, actually I think it was C.S. Lewis, who also said, pain insists upon being attended to. This is the gift that God offers us in the middle of pain. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pain. God shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Is it possible that in the middle of your suffering, God wants to use that to get a hold of your attention? Now look, hear me right on this. Some of the things that you've experienced in this world, God does not want. He didn't wish it upon you. We live in a broken world. And when you ache, God aches. In fact, there's a moment in scripture where Jesus is walking along with some of his friends. He's got these friends, Mary, uh, Martha, and Lazarus, good, good friends of his. And Lazarus is on his deathbed. And in fact, he actually ends up dying. And in the middle of that moment, Jesus doesn't say, well, God got a hold of your attention. He weeps with them. Now, he knew in that moment and the other side, he was actually going to heal Lazarus, going to bring him back from the dead. But Jesus weeps with you in the middle of your brokenness and in the middle of the tragedy and the pain when you're just gut-wrenching and saying, why, God? Why am I experiencing what I'm experiencing right now? You've got to know that the king of the universe is also weeping alongside you. It's not just your fault. But in the middle of that pain... God has a way of drawing out something beautiful and showing us something that we have not yet seen about who he is and what he's all about. Now, the interesting thing in this moment is that the disciples, in the gift that Jesus shows them in the middle of this storm, they're faced down a crossroads. It's really a confrontation of what they believe most. Think about it. Jesus is asking people to follow him. They get in the boat indicating that they believe something about him. He's not just an ordinary guy. They're going to follow him because there's something radical about this Jesus. I'm believing there's more in Jesus. And yet when they get in the middle of the storm, they start questioning it, don't they? They cry out, teacher, we're going to die. <laughs> now in that moment, that's a conflict of belief, isn't it? We believe that this man has the words of eternal life and yet we're going to die. 
for all of us in this room, man, when you go through a storm, there is a battle, there's a conflict of belief that Jesus is asking you, what do you most deeply believe? What do you really believe when you go through a storm? It tests us. This is what First Peter and James are talking about in these storms. Whenever you face these kind of trials, it tests you. What do you really believe? Now, the crazy thing for a lot of us in this room is when you lose your job and you've been banking everything on that job, you understand quickly whether or not you're trusting more in your job or you're trusting more in God, right? Does your world fall apart? Have you gotten unbelievably grouchy? Have you become angry? Have you become a difficult person to work with because you lost your job? Man, you might've been trusting that more than you were trusting God. In the middle of some of these tragedies, we have to ask ourselves, what do we most believe? And your responses, pay attention. Pay attention to the longings, the emotions, pay attention to your responses because in there you're gonna find, what am I trusting in most? What am I trusting in most? I love this. This is a radical story. In the Old Testament, there was a group of three guys who experienced another storm. Uh, in fact, their entire family was ripped from their homeland and brought into exile in a place called Babylon. Their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were ripped from their family, and that was one storm. But to add on top of that, these guys were Jewish, brought into a Babylon culture, and were said, you have to worship a massive statue of gold. And if you don't, we're going to put you in the fiery furnace. You're going to die as an example to everyone else. You know what they did? I love this response. You ready? This is, this is so bad. We need, I love this. This is what they said to the king. We don't need to defend ourselves in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. But even if he does not, we want you to know, oh, your majesty, by the way, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you set up. I don't care how bad this storm gets, I'm planting a stake in the ground right now in my faith. It's God that I serve. He is able to get me out of this, but even if he does not, he's my God. The disciples are experiencing a crisis of belief in the middle of this storm. Am I gonna trust Jesus? Or am I going to give way to the fears that are overwhelming me right now? And I'm telling you, it was overwhelming. These waves were crashing over the boat. If you're picturing like the movie, The Perfect Storm, where you find a boat like in the middle of a trough and the wave is way up here, that's what we're seeing in this story. It's overwhelming. And you guys have been through storms that are overwhelming, but what do you believe in the middle of that storm? Now, if you ever find yourself in a moment where you may not believe Jesus as much as you thought you do. How do you get out of that? How do you replace some things that you believe in more than Jesus? I love this. Craig Rochelle, before I move on, he said, never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. He's in it with you, okay? He's in it with you. This is where it moves on, okay? This is what's so fascinating. They asked Jesus, what are you doing in the middle of this? Look, save us, we're gonna drown. And this is how Jesus responds, okay? Not exactly what you and I would probably wish for in that moment. He replied in verse 26, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Jesus, did you see the waves? You're asking me the question, why am I so afraid? Like, did you open your eyes yet or are you still asleep? Did you look at what's coming in the boat? What do you mean, why am I so afraid? It seems like a petty question at first, and I'm telling you right now, if you're going through a storm, you lost a loved one, you lost a job, you lost something significant in your life, and someone asks you, why are you so afraid? 
I mean, that doesn't help a whole lot in that moment. Jesus' question is deeper than that. So much deeper. This is what he's getting at. He said, what's at the root of your fear? What's at the root of it? That's why he's asking. He's not just saying, why are you afraid of fear is a bad thing? He's actually saying, examine the roots of it. Examine the roots of why you're so afraid. What are you believing about reality? What are you believing about your life? What are you believing about God in the middle of that fear? Because here's the reality. Whatever rules your mind, rules your emotions and your response. In the middle of storms, whatever rules your mind will start ruling your emotions and ruling your response. And we have to take into account, what are we believing here? What's at the root of your deepest fear? Paul David Tripp continues in his book, Suffering. I love this. He says, there's a direct connection between what you meditate on and what you fear. This is what Jesus is driving at. Examine it. There's a direct connection between what you meditate on and, and what you fear. The level of fear you experience when you're suffering is not just the result of the magnitude of the thing you're suffering, it's not just the magnitude of the fact that you lost something or you lost a job or something significant is being ripped away from you. But maybe even more significantly, the result of what has captured and focused the thoughts of your heart while you're living through it. Have you lost the will to live because that person in your life is not there anymore? What's captured and focused the thoughts of your heart? Just so you guys get a window into the life of a pastor. Uh, maybe some of you are tempted to think, and probably not many, that uh, we're immune to crippling fears. Let me give you a window into my life this past week. Uh, I spent some time with a whole bunch of pastors from our Send Boston network. If some of you didn't know, maybe online you didn't know, we're, we're connected to a network that's actually national. Um, but inside uh, Boston, there's a network called Send Boston that is, uh, its whole goal is to equip and send multiplying churches so that Thousands more in the Boston area can hear about Jesus Christ and the life-giving message that he's got for us. It's amazing. Uh, 2005, we had two churches, just two, in all of greater Boston. And now we've got 70-plus that are not only growing but expanding into more churches. It's an amazing thing. I spent time with about 75 of them on Monday and Tuesday, and we're dreaming together what would it look like for us to start more churches. Now... It's a pretty awesome thing when you first get into a room like that because you're surrounded by a whole lot of guys that believe the same things that you do and are really excited about it, but it doesn't take long for some of the selfish nature to start kicking in. How many are you running? Oh, well, we're a little bigger than that. Check out the plans that we got and the leadership development pipelines we got. Look at all these discipleship pipelines and, and, and this is what we're about to do. No, no, this is what we're about to do. And before you know it, ego stepped into the picture and we're measuring each other and comparing each other. And before you know it, it started to play this whole game on ego. And we hate it, but it's so easy to fall into. And before you know it, this fear starts creeping in. Man, what if I'm not good enough? I'm telling you, right after Monday night, I spent some time with some pastors who are killing it. Uh, I had a breakfast with another pastor that morning, and we walked into some of the session together, and uh, the craziest thing happens. We're in the middle of this session, dreaming and planning about what we could do together moving forward, and the guy who's leading the session just stops cold. And he said, man, I was going to transition into something else, but um, I can't. I, I feel like God's just stopping me right now. Does anybody have a word from the Lord? And this pregnant pause happened with all this room full of pastors. And like pastors like talking. <laughs> so we waited. And he said, you know what? We need to just pray right now. And as soon as we started praying, 
pastor after pastor after pastor started not only pouring their heart out, but weeping with the, the, the tears of fear and inadequacy, like, God, I don't feel up to this. I know what you've called us to do and this area needs it desperately, but I don't have what it takes. And some of these pastors that some of us who've been only around for a couple of years are looking up to, these guys are weeping because they feel unbelievably inadequate. And it was a confession moment where all of us had to get right with God. I'm weeping myself in that moment and thinking, there's some fear and inadequacy that I got to deal with on the inside of me. If you've ever been there in the middle of some of your storms, you understand that we've got to dig at the root of that kind of fear and understand what's at the root of that. Is it a fear of inadequacy? Is it a fear of not being successful? Is it a fear of no one's going to approve me? I'm not going to belong to a family because when we start giving in to those kind of fears, we start walking down roads that are really unhealthy. We start white knuckling our jobs and become slaves to workaholism. We become slaves to maybe pleasing other people around us. Maybe if you're single, you're willing to bunk up with someone that doesn't even believe what you believe or is not with you on certain things, but you just want to be loved. You want to be accepted. You got to dig at the root of those fears. And Jesus is asking us right now, what are you so afraid of? What is it? What is it in your life? What is it in my life? Dig at those fears. Some of us in this room, man, you are a slave to, to money and the fear of money. Jesus put it this way. When it comes to your money and what you're so worried about, the fears that so deeply root you in that, he said in Matthew 6, 27, he says, can all your worries add a single hour to your life? You tell me this, like if your fear of budgeting has led you into conversations with your marriage, tell me that that fear hasn't caused good things in your life. <laughs> I'm telling you, when you bring fear into budgeting conversations, that rarely goes well. And some of you feel that at a palpable level in this room. What are you afraid of? Jesus is asking you to examine it and to get rid of it. But how? That's the last question here. How do we get rid of it? What does it look like for us to, to understand these fears and to get them out of our life? How do we do that? Because it's not just the suffering that shapes us, it's what the decisions that we make in the middle of suffering that deeply shape us. Now, this is how the story ends, you ready? Jesus continues and says, oh, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up and this is what he did, you ready? He rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. You guys ever been at the edge of a lake uh, at the beginning of the morning? Man, it's my favorite thing in all of creation. I'm telling you what, like when, you're, when you wake up next to a lake, it is like glass. And when the sun just pokes out over the mountains and a little mist is coming off the water, like there is nothing more peaceful than that moment. And yet there was nothing peaceful about this moment. Everything went dead quiet, which is impossible. Because when you think about hurricane force winds coming into this, Hurricane force winds leave ripples and big waves for days after it happens. This, not a ripple on the lake. That's what it means to be completely calm. The men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this? What kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. 
Now, it was believed in the, in the, the ancient world that the, the sea was the most untamable of all of the, the earth's things. Uh, they, they, they thought that the God of the water was the only God that you really couldn't manipulate. If you got on his bad side, it was all over, okay? That's what the ancient world believed in. And in this moment, what Jesus says is, you know what? What you thought is untamable, completely calm. The disciples went from one storm to a completely other storm. And the storm wasn't outside at this point, it was inside. And they asked terrified, what is this guy? Who is he? In fact, the gospel of Mark uh, goes in to say they were terrified. They went from afraid for their lives to terror stricken because there was something about this guy that had a power that they had never seen before. What in the world does he want with me? That's the central question of the entire Bible. Who is this man? And we have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do with this guy? Here's the one thing that you can do to try to get a crippling fear that's going to lead you down unhealthy roads out of your life. You can't just will it away. You've got to replace it with another fear. You've got to replace it. And what Jesus shows these men in this moment is, I want you to understand a different kind of fear. These men were in awe of what Jesus did. And it's that awe and wonder of the King of Kings and the Lord of the universe. That's the only thing that can replace the crippling fear in your life. Is when you stand back and wonder at what he's capable of and what he's done for you. The amazing thing in this moment is that the storm doesn't have the final word Jesus does. The storm in your life right now doesn't have the final word, it never has. Jesus does. Are you going to run to him? There's a parallel story, and I find this so fascinating. There's a, another story in the Old Testament that is so closely linked to this, it's uncanny in its parallels. Some of you are familiar with the story of Jonah, and we think about him just getting swallowed by a big fish, and you know, we, we see it on those like felt boards as kids, and it's this really fun story and all that. It wasn't super fun for the men in that moment. This is what happened. This is what happened in Jonah's story. This is what happened in Jesus' story in this one. You ready? Both went out in a sea in a boat. Jonah's running away from God, and Jesus and his guys, they're following God, but they both end up out on the water. Both of them encounter an incredible storm and a storm that they could not overcome on their own. Jesus was asleep and Jonah was asleep in the story. The sailors all cry out, we're perishing. It's actually the exact same Greek word from the Old Testament uh, in the Septuagint version and then also in the New Testament. And then there's a miraculous intervention by God. And afterwards, both sides, the sailors are terrified at what happens. They're looking at in awe and wonder at what happens. There's really only one major difference in this whole story. Jonah says, the only way for you guys, sailors, to actually get out of this alive is for you to throw me overboard. And yet he doesn't die. What happens? The fish comes up and eats him and, you know, he spends like three days in the fish and then gets spit out and, you know, he's okay. Do you know what Jesus promises us in this story? When he calms the wind and the waves and makes everything perfect and glassy, what he promises us in that moment is that there is a life that's going to die. The radical evil and the tragedies and suffering in this world, it deserves payment. But it's not going to be you that dies. It's going to be me that dies. 
Jesus promises us in that moment that the king of the universe understands the weight of sin and that led to all the brokenness that this world experiences. And what he says is, you can't pay it because you're not perfect enough. You know what's going to take place instead? I'm going to pay it because I'm the only one who can pay it perfectly. And you know what happened instead? Jesus put himself up on the cross in our place where the sin and the wages of sin was death. He died in our place, the perfect substitute for us so that we would never have to experience radical separation from God ever again. Jesus was the ultimate one who went through the storm and came on the other side and promises us that when you cling to Jesus, not only can your heart be at peace, no matter what storm you're experiencing right now, but for all eternity have a hope that there will never be storms one day. When Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished. What he says is the storms you're facing in your life right now do not have the final word, Jesus does. Jesus does. 